RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Season 2, Episode 5. Letter from Mary Lou Tamborello to Leonard Maislish, July 1968. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, Star Trek fans, Star Trek background fans, and yes, all you Trekophiles spelled with an F. We've got a really, a really cute <laughs> and yet very telling um, in which um, Gene Roddenberry is actually only CC'd. But it's a wonderful piece of correspondence where we, in which we see once again that the more things change, the more they stay the same. And what's even better, we have an early peek at a character in the Star Trek cast of characters that we will come to see much more of later on. Take a listen to this segment from one of the letters, and I'll be right back with this week's guest. I'm sorry, you're the lawyer, and I'm sure that it isn't proper to argue with you. Okay, whatever you say, just tell me what you want me to do. I won't like it, but I'll do it. I suppose that's part of growing up. You and your client did understand, didn't you all, that I wasn't selling film clips, that I had offered for sale the prints from them, like the one I sent you. I want that to be clear. No one sells film clips for a couple of reasons. They're too hard to get, they cost too much, and nobody ever wants to part with their own. Sometimes people trade, though. Is that wrong? Yes. The more things change, the more they stay the same. I love that topic. I love that topic in Star Trek and in fandom. And... Uh, here to share a little discussion on this and the fascinating one side of this correspondence is our good friend John Champion. You all know him from Mission Log and from Mission Log Live every Tuesday night. John, um, boy, we have a fan, a slice of life, a fandom, early licensing issues, and Leonard Mazelish all in one here. I can't believe that this is 1968. That's what's so weird to me, because I, I, I'm not sure when John and Bijo first hit the scene with, uh, with, with their correspondence with Gene and actually rescuing those film clips and getting them out there to the public. And, and I know that that was their thing to Gene and saying, hey, these have value. Hang on to these that are hitting the editing room floor before they get swept up and thrown away. There's some money to be made here, and the, and the fans want this stuff. So, A, I'm surprised that it's that early that, that we're in Star Trek's run. And, B, let's just talk about the personalities <laughs> at play here. All right. So, a lot has been said about Leonard Mazelish. And, and we'll be saying much more about Leonard yeah. in shows to come. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is a correspondence with a 17-year-old girl, Mary Lou Tamborello in Chicago, Illinois, who I love that, uh, that this is stamped with the Nimoyan Fellowship. So she she is a dyed-in-the-wool fan, clearly a Spock fan, <laughs> but, but she has and, her own name for her fandom, the Nimoyan Fellowship. Well, let's and let's yeah. be clear here. This is July, June and July of 68. Mm-hmm. This is only the second season has gone down. The yeah. huge renewed Star Trek letter-writing campaign that B. Joe and John led has just happened. Fandom has declared victory, at yeah. least for the moment. Yeah. So everyone is flush with that excitement. Right. Everyone is flush with that excitement. Um, 
And, and yes, I mean, it's blossoming. B. Joe would go on from the letter-writing campaign to set up uh, what be, Star Trek Enterprises, which qu- quickly became Lincoln Enterprises, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that Gene and Majel were involved in, but slightly camouflaged due to <laughs> right, right. income sources, which Leonard Maislish was a part of. Yeah. At the time. So, well, well, let's talk about who Leonard Maislish was. Right. So, I, I think a lot of people, particularly if they watched Chaos on the Bridge mm-hmm. or if they followed kind of the later history of Star Trek, we've interviewed David Gerald. He has things to say about Leonard Maislish. <laughs> but but he, he was somebody who was very prominent in those early years of Next Gen, but he was Gene's uh, attorney and associate. From very early on. Gene and, and Leonard Majlish found each other when Gene set up his Norway Productions Corporation, which was his shingle yeah. for all things film and TV, in 1959. Yeah, I couldn't believe it was that early. But I, he was, yeah. you know, Leonard was a young lawyer. This, what's, what's refreshing about this 1968, this is 20 years before all the machinations of chaos on the bridge. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and, uh, and, and Leonard died soon after that in the early 90s. He was just 62 when he died. But here's a young, fresh Leonard Majlish who is looking out for his clients' business affairs and business effects. And yeah, it's, it, it, the other the other aspect of this is licensing. There's still rights, and there's obviously people even at Desilu, which had just become Paramount. I, I, right here, mm-hmm. uh, July or January first had become Paramount with the purchase of Desilu, and the it, it's a baby industry. Yeah, People, yeah. you know, license a lunchbox, license an action figure, license a coloring book, license novelizations like, you know, kid, especially young adult, you know, Whitman publishing novelizations, right. model kits. That was pretty much the extent of licensing. And, yes, John and B. Joe used to sell the, uh, at Lincoln, would sell the strip of three, which was, mm-hmm. you know, kids before DVDs, much less before frame grabbing. <laughs> Fandom lived and died and got its only reference from those 35-millimeter film clips. Now, she's using the term clip here, which today we think in terms of a video clip. Yeah, yeah, right? but she's talking about a freeze frame, a single a, an frame. An actual frame, Yeah, right. yeah. And, and the film strips they used to sell would be like a, three, a strip of three right. on an actual. So when you had fans trading and selling clips back and forth, we're talking about the, basically slides. Yeah. 35 yeah. millimeter slides and people would and she's talking about making those into photo prints yeah which was a great currency for fandom in the day i mean when if you were a guy or gal that came across like the neutral zone graphic from <laughs> bound to terror that <laughs> oh was gold. you wanted that yeah but yeah. everybody loved clips because the background nerds and the and the uh, uh you know the canonistas loved those mm-hmm. the relationship and just the people who loved spock or mccoy or kirk or shatner nimoy d kelly they just wanted pictures of their guy, you know, the close-ups. Yeah, the close-ups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So everybody had a stake in that. And clip in the days before even VHS tapes, clip trading was such a was such a big deal to fandom. Was such a currency for that that there was a zine called the Clipper Trade Ship. You know, on the, <laughs> yeah, on the right, Clipper right, ships, right. and it was totally for people to like. If you had a shot of Uhura close-up. They had a whole guide to how you could tell what episode it was by her hairstyle, her mm-hmm. earrings, and what was on the view screens over her head. You know, that, that kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. But that's the extent of film clip fandom. So she's very vested in it. And in her letter, she's, she's right. That's what. Fan- and if they were going to shut that down, then she was mortified. Well, so the, this whole thing, it, it speaks to so much because, first of all, this is a 17 year old girl in 1968 oh. who was not. Yes. 
turning this into an industry. She's not trying to make a million dollars off of this. She's just excited about her fandom, and she's. I'm trading sorry, these, John. We're talking yes. about 1968, not yes. 1998, yeah, 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 2008. Yeah. Here, exactly, exactly. So yeah, she she's just expressing her fandom and trading with her friends and and uh, just clearly covering the cost of doing that she she's not starting a business off of this but the other thing that this speaks to is the the tight leash in 1968 even that's going back to the beginning that gene and through gene Leonard, uh, uh, Leonard Mazelish had on fandom profiteering you know, at least the way they saw this is like, well, if we let if we let one thing slip through, that opens the floodgates to let something else slip through. So if we don't stop what's happening here, then we don't really have a leg to stand on when something else comes down the road that we really do have to stop. How many how many film clips and then T-shirts and stickers and bumper stickers and patches and all these other things that fans will make because they're passionate, but they also feel this maybe misplaced ownership over Star Trek, how much more of that will happen, this is just a drop in the bucket. It's the very beginning of that. Oh, it is. And yeah. it's telling also that this is not Desilu slash Paramount going mm-hmm. after her. This yeah. is Gene, the show's producer, creator, and his personal attorney. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It, show, it speaks to the infant days of licensing, yeah. how, how Wild West and just one-off deals were done, mm-hmm. you know, all the way to, oh, I don't know, make a deal with a, with a model building, co- with a plastic yeah, at the, Make a deal with a model kit company, and you wind up with a set prop. You know, the Galileo shuttlecraft. Is right. How you do. It was that kind of an era. It wasn't until, really, George Lucas and Star Wars that the hard, hardcore licensing deals you know, yeah. got beyond lunchboxes and pajamas and whatever. So it's not a studio involvement. It's very personal. But at the same time, you read her. T- she's in fear here for the state of just photo printing off of clips. Yeah. And... And uh, 30 years later, it's website guys with the early websites being shut down for having too many film clips on their sites. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or another 20 years, and it's fan films. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. there's the cutting edge, whatever the cutting yeah. edge of fan passion is. The lawyers have to step in and say, well, let's let's settle this down until we get it figured out. Well, that's what always amuses me about people who sort of uh, try to attribute you know now more than 25 years after gene has been gone try to attribute whatever they think gene would have wanted mm-hmm. say oh well 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 gene would have wanted this fan film or this novel or this uh, you know piece of art he would have he would have wanted fans to do that in 1968 no, we didn't. <laughs> you know? And, uh, uh, and that, that probably speaks to what happened many times after. I'm sure that this, this is probably a form letter or at least some version of this that Leonard Mazelish would have sent out many times after to say, hey, heads up, um, you can't just keep doing what you're doing, even though your intentions are good. And I think that's the other really entertaining thing about this piece. Mary Lou is so charming, and and you can see that she's terrified that she's been contacted by a lawyer Mm -hmm. because, you know, a a high school kid in the 60s is expected (laughs) to be contacted by a lawyer about what they're doing just as a fan of a TV show. But the other thing is they they actually have this kind of personal correspondence. She's being so friendly. One of the other amazing things about this on another level is this may be the most human time we ever see Leonard make. Yeah, right, right, right. For real. 
for he real. He says, oh, I'm a fan, too, and, and yeah. I think you're a good typist. And it's all this, yeah, he didn't yeah. have to do that to a 17-year-old. Yeah. It's like he realizes that his boilerplate, and we don't have the original. Yeah. But uh, I also love, though, that he may be a bit sloppy because he's talking about uh, her letter of July 12th when it was June 12th. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and yes, her Nemoyan Fellowship stamp. That was the, you know, that, again, look what we've got here. We've got a female fan of yeah. Leonard Limoy slash Spock mm-hmm. taking a leadership, uh, you know, her, she's on the radar here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was early fandom. And, yes, everyone had a cute little name for their, their club or right. circle. Right. She's in Chicago. She's not out in the middle of, of yeah. the boonies somewhere, but she's still very yeah. deferential. You know what? Her voice, I mean, I know she's 17, and I mm-hmm. think the character was supposed to be post-college. Mm-hmm. She sounds a lot like uh, Roberta Lincoln here. Oh, you know, in a uh, '60s kind of language way. That's you know, hey, now I know you're a lawyer, and I'm not supposed to talk back to a lawyer. It's also very cutting edge cusp, but we haven't dragged ourselves through Vietnam and Watergate yet, right? Right. And youthful attitude. She's still obviously a, an optimist. She loves Star Trek. She loves Spock, but she's so deferential in her tone. But at the same time, a little bit like, just tell me what you want, and I'll do it. But please don't do that. Yeah, well, and, and Leonard Mazlisch is very nice about it. He says, you know, let us know. We don't want you to lose money on the clips that you bought. Let us know what that cost, and right. we will see if we can reimburse you. Right. Uh, which, I, you know, again, is just sort of above and beyond. But he's trying to be the good guy here. This is before the reputation set in. Right. Well, <laughs> she sent such a, you know, when you send out a boilerplate letter that he must have sent. Yeah. Um, you're not thinking about getting this, you know, a little bit rambly, but obviously sincere, organic, yeah, grassroots, um, you know, plaintive cry from a from a fan because it is a. I mean, as much as people may want to criticize the actions of lawyers and licensing agents, and, and especially here in the baby days of fandoms and celebrities, it is a line to walk. You 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 want to look out for your rights. It's, mm-hmm. it's the line that they've crossed, the line that they have walked ever since. Yeah. You want to balance looking out for your own rights with not alienating your fan base. Yeah. And heaven forbid there's times when that has skewed both ways yeah. with Star Trek, much less any other franchise over the years. Fans are up in arms about something that the you know Paramount or CBS is doing. And at the same time, there's times when, oh, my God, this is so awesome. Thank you for doing this. I mean, it, it's hard, and it pains even the rights holders at times to have to right, write those letters. Right. Well, it's that weird, ugly place where where fandom and business mm-hmm. collide. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I love having this peek into this from so early in Star Trek's history. That's a, And it's a creative, legal dynamic that I'm so glad we solved all those years ago. We're done. We're done. Nothing else to do. So uh, I hope you enjoyed following along that exchange from 1968 with us. Remember, all the documents that we talk about here on The Trek Files are right there at facebook.com slash The Trek Files. And thank you, John, for dropping in again this week. My pleasure. What an interesting document. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Additional production by Ken Ray. All documents are available at facebook.com slash The Trek Files. For more great podcasts, check out podcasts.roddenberry.com. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek in Portal 47, that's me, at larrynimacek.com. Podcast.roddenberry.com, the Roddenberry Podcast Network.